Good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Well, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. We're working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And our text this morning will be the second part of a paragraph we identified last week, verses 15 through 21. It's all one paragraph, but we cut it in half last week. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, we saw this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Watch carefully how you walk making the most of your time because the days of your e- uh, the days are evil so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our lord jesus christ to god even the father and be subject to one another in the fear of christ Now, we said last time that verses 15 through 21 really all go together. That's one paragraph. And we saw last time that there are three parallel constructs, three parallel contrasts here that tie this whole paragraph together. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Not foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Not drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. So we have these three parallel contrasts that tie it all together. And we broke out the wisdom part last week. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we talked about the, 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 the worthy walk in wisdom. And today we're going to deal with the worthy walk in the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But really, this whole letter, we kind of chop it up into these little sermonic bites. But we lose the, the continuity of the whole letter. It all goes together. It all feeds. So as we talk about the... The worthy walk in the Spirit is not just one little segment. It really in, it informs this whole letter, everything we've been talking about. It goes back to chapter 1, that God has blessed us with, all the, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, starting with salvation, His gracious salvation, whereby He took us, we were dead in trespasses and sins, and made us alive together in Christ. And then we have this whole new identity in Christ. And then he brought us together in the body of Christ, one raceless race, the people of God. Therefore, in light of all these blessings that God has given us, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. We've been called to salvation. We've been called to holy and blameless living. So walk in a manner worthy. Live accordingly. And we've seen that that means walking in unity, fighting for unity in the body of Christ, that we walk in love, that we walk in light and wisdom, and we're going to see that we want to, that this has implications for our marriage, for parenting, for our work life, for spiritual warfare. What I'm saying is this, all of that is part and parcel of the worthy walk in the Spirit. And the worthy walk in the Spirit is a part of all of that. So it's not just one little bite size that we're going to separate out today. It's really all of this is a part of this walking in the Spirit. So let's focus in. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine. Don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be unwise, don't be foolish. You want to understand what the will of the Word is. So don't be unwise, don't be foolish, and don't be drunk with wine. So that's our parallels, three parallels. Don't be unwise, Don't be foolish. Don't be drunk with wine. Because being drunk with wine is dissipation. That word dissipation translates the Greek word asotia. 
And it describes someone who was unsavable, beyond savable, beyond salvation, incapable of being saved. It was a word used to describe someone who was hopelessly and incurably ill. They have a terminal illness. They're going to die. You can't save them. You can't help them. In this context, it has the idea of of dissipation, self-destruction, wantonness, a wastefulness. In fact, one translation, the New Living Translation, puts it this way. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. That's dissipation. It will ruin your life. It will waste your life. We heard last week that wisdom is making the most of the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time, buying back the time, making the most of every opportunity because life is short and life is fragile, life is uncertain, don't know what's going to happen, so redeem the time. Being drunk with wine, that's the opposite. It is a waste of time, a waste of life, a waste of opportunities. Now, way back in January, if you can remember January, vague memory, way back in January, we were in the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, we were trying to find some proverbial wisdom to guide our lives. And we talked about how to be wise with alcohol when we were in Proverbs. So I'm not going to re-preach that whole sermon this morning. But here's the short version. Here's the punchline. You will not find a verse in the Bible that says, do not drink alcohol. It's not in there. Don't drink alcohol. You will not find that in the Bible. You do find warning after warning after warning after warning. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 23, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. When it goes down smoothly at the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Those are just two, two warnings. It's just right there. Warning after warning after warning. Better watch out for it. It doesn't say don't drink, but it does say you better watch out for it. Now, just so you know, I don't drink. I preach against it. I'd give anything if you would not drink. <laughs> but it's, I have no use for it. There are a lot of young preachers today. They're young and cool, and they'll tell you it's okay to drink. Let's go get a beer and talk about Jesus. I'm neither young nor cool. I hope you won't, don't drink. I have no use for it. I'll tell you, I hate the stuff. I hate it because I've seen what it does. If you could sit in my office and talk to the people I've talked to over the years, you would hate it too. I hate what it does. I don't hate you if you drink. But I hate what alcohol might do to you if you drink. And I've, I've just seen it. So I have no use for it. The Bible does not prohibit drinking alcohol. It does prohibit drunkenness. Black ink on white paper. Do not be drunk with wine. And drunkenness is universally condemned in scriptures. It always is sinful. It always is destructive. It leads to all kinds of, of sin and corruption and problems. Um, drunkenness is how the lost live. I mean, that's the old life. Those without hope, without God in the world, this is their lifestyle, drunkenness and carousing. And we, and we just read in, in recent weeks how those who do these kinds of things have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But if you know Jesus, you have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So don't do that. That's part of the old life. Well, isn't this a strange pairing? Why would Paul put these two things together? Don't be drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit. 
Isn't that a, why, why would you put those two things together? I have a suspicion. You know, I don't know much, but I suspect a lot. <laughs> I have a suspicion. Isn't it interesting that they call alcohol spirits? I would submit to you that alcohol is Satan's counterfeit substitute for the Holy Spirit. You think about why people drink. Well, to have a good time, facilitate social interaction, to escape from our problems, to cope with misery, whatever it is. Why do people drink? Well, when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need alcohol for any of that. We don't need alcohol to facilitate social interaction, have a good time. We've got the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. I don't need to have a drug to cope with problems. I've got the Holy Spirit of God living in me. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. And so we, all those reasons that people give for drinking, those, those things are satisfied in the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We want to be under his influence. And being drunk with wine is contrary to the worthy walk. Think about what we've, what we've been saying. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. We're to walk in love and unity. Alcohol doesn't foster love and unity. Who has contentions? The one who lingers long over the wine. Alcohol produces conflict. It increases conflict. Um, we're to walk in wisdom and in light and holiness. Alcohol doesn't foster wisdom and light and holiness. Well, alcohol lowers inhibitions. People do things under the influence of alcohol they would never do if they were sober. It lowers inhibitions. It doesn't promote wisdom. It, it, it won't help you in your marriage. It may destroy your marriage. It won't help you with your kids. It could ruin your kids. It won't help you at work. It could get you fired, destroy your career. So it, it's contraindicated by the worthy walk. The worthy walk, you don't need alcohol. So do not be drunk with wine. That is wantonness, wastefulness. It is dissipation, asotia. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's where we're going to focus this morning. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because there are a lot of different denominations that say different things, do different things. And heaven help you if you go on TV. <laughs> TV preachers, the Lord really help you if you go on the Internet. So there's all kinds of different ideas and things out there. So what in the world does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, let's answer it by, first of all, looking at what it doesn't mean. What does that not mean, being filled with the Spirit? What is that not, what's Paul not talking about? One, he's not talking about being sealed with the Spirit. So if you have your bulletin, there's your listening guide. So here's, here's where we begin. He's not talking about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 1, he mentioned that. In chapter 1 and verse 13, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you hear the gospel, you receive the gospel, you believe the gospel. You know and believe and understand that you are a sinner before a holy God. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised again. And you come to understand you need Jesus. You need saving. You need your sins forgiven. Your soul needs to be saved, and Jesus is the only one. So you repent. You turn from sin, self, and the world. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you. In Christ, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That speaks of authenticity. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of security. You are marked as belonging to Christ. You are sealed with that seal of ownership. 
You belong to him. It's also a mark of security. You are locked down. You belong to him, and nothing's going to change that. You belong to the Lord Jesus. You've been sealed with the Spirit. But that's not what Paul is talking about, being filled with the Spirit. It also does not mean being indwelt by the Spirit. When you repent and believe and say yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God? Now, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are, in your spirit, which are God's. So your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8, Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. There's no such thing as a believer without the Holy Spirit. It happens at salvation. You are sealed with the Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit. Thirdly, Paul is not talking about being baptized by the Spirit. That's not what he's talking about here, being baptized by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one Spirit. When you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting by faith His gift of eternal life, you didn't know it, you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, but the Spirit of God baptized you into the body of Christ. You were engrafted. You became a part. You were incorporated into the body of Christ, baptized into the body of Christ. It was a spiritual reality. You didn't physically sense it, but it's a spiritual truth. So you, we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about receiving the Holy Spirit in incremental doses or installments where you get a little bit today and you get a little bit more and you get a little bit more. No, when you have the Holy Spirit, you have all there is for you to have. John 3.34 says that he gives the Spirit without measure. He's also not talking about a dramatic, esoteric, ecstatic experience, some kind of charismatic experience where you get happy in church and you start jumping up and down, hooting and hollering, running up and down the aisles or speaking in tongues or anything like that. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Nowhere in Scripture are believers commanded to be baptized by the Spirit and dwelt by the Spirit or sealed by the Spirit. Those are all accomplished facts. God does that. But we are commanded to be filled by the Spirit. We're commanded to be filled by the Spirit. Now, speaking of commands, in the grammar of the Greek New Testament, this is a present, passive, imperative verb. It's imperative. That means it's a command. Here's something you're commanded to do. So we have a responsibility to obey that command. It's a command. It's a passive imperative. So it's something we're not commanded to do, but it's something we're commanded to allow to be done to us. <laughs> so being filled is not something you do, but you allow it to be done to you. It's a passive imperative. It is a present tense imperative verb, which speaks of continuing ongoing action. Literally, be being kept filled. <laughs> you need to be filled and stay filled. Get filled, keep getting filled. Be being kept filled. It's an ongoing, it's the way you live. It is a lifestyle. Be being kept filled. Now we'll come back to the verb that's in view in just a moment. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We're not talking about being sealed or indwelt or baptized by the Spirit, getting Him in incremental doses. We're not talking about some kind of experience, ecstatic experience. Well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Paul's going to show us. Now hang on to Ephesians. Make two right-hand turns, and let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians 
and Paul's letter to the Colossians are sister letters, very likely written at the same time or very close proximity to each other. They are very, very similar. Structurally, they're similar. Similar. Thematically, they are similar. They're very much alike. They were probably in the mail at the same time. The same fellow were probably delivering these two letters at the same time. They are that closely related. You read one, read the other. Wow, deja vu. They sound very similar. Now, look at this. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now notice again, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. What happens when you do that? With all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now let's go back to our text this morning. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one, uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Interesting, isn't it? Very, very similar. So these two parallel letters give us these two parallel passages. And what we hear is that being filled with the Spirit is parallel to if not synonymous with letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Because you get the same results. When you're filled with the Spirit, look what happens. When you let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, look what happens. Same thing, same results. Same language even. So being filled with the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, they are parallel, if not synonymous. They go hand in hand if they don't mean exactly the same thing. So as we talk about being filled with the Spirit, what does this mean? Well, it means in part... Submitting to his word. You submit to the word of God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You submit to his word. You don't judge the Bible. The Bible judges you. When you come to the word of God, you don't stand over the Bible and think, well, I believe that, I don't believe that, I like that, I don't like that, I agree, I disagree, I'm going to do that, well, I won't do that. Oh, no. You submit to the word of God. It is the word of God. For a believer... This is the authoritative word of God. It's the ultimate authority in your life. This is God's word. My life is submitted to the word of God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's one aspect of being filled with the Spirit. You submit to his word. Here's another aspect of being filled with the Spirit. It means yielding to his direction. Yielding to his direction. Day by day, submitting to the influence, the control, the direction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And remember the contrast don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of wine. Do be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this brings us back to our verb. Remember, present passive imperative? Well, the verb is plerao, and that word was used in several ways in, in the first century. One sense of the word is to fill up a container, you know, just like we do today. You fill, fill up a coffee cup to the brim, get your money's worth, you know, fill it all the way up to be filled. It also has, was used to describe wind filling sails of a sailing vessel. Wind fills the sails. And that's a good picture of the Holy Spirit and how he leads us in our lives. The Holy Spirit fills our sails. He propels us. He leads us. He directs us. He empowers us. The Holy Spirit fills our sails in that, in that sense of the word. We're under his direction and his power. Or it could be used to speak of permeation. Permeation. They would talk about salt. Salt. Filling the meat, 
They would cure meat with salt. So it acts as a preservative, it acts as a flavoring, and you want that, that, that salt to permeate the meat or a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. It fills, it permeates the lump, the, the, the whole lump of dough. So the Holy Spirit permeates our lives. And every aspect of our life is to reflect the presence of God and the truth of God, walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. Or it was used to describe total control, the connotation of total control. There are several times in the Gospels where we see this word, where people are said to be filled with sorrow, filled with fear, filled with rage, filled with faith. Um, Peter told Ananias that Satan had filled his heart, and so he lied to the Holy Spirit and so forth. So you could be filled with sorrow, fear, rage, or faith being filled up. That is to say, you're no longer under your own self-control, but under the control, the influence of that which is dominating you, that which is it's filling you and controlling you and directing you, whether it's rage or sorrow or faith or fear or the Holy Spirit. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, guided, directed, influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. So we yield to His influence. Again, antithetical to being drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of alcohol. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So it's yielding to his direction under his influence. Thirdly, being filled with the Spirit is also living in his presence. Living in the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Mindful of the presence of God. As we go through the New Testament, we find other places, other, other descriptors of this. Other ways of saying kind of the same thing. For example, in John 15, Jesus talks about abiding in him, abiding in Christ. In fact, let's go there. Hang on to Ephesians. Hang on to Ephesians. But let's go to John chapter 15. John 15 and verse 4. John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Uh, down in verse 10, if you uh, keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding in Christ, Christ abiding in you, abiding in his word, his word abiding in you, abiding in love. You get the idea. It, what, what is he talking about? You get close and stay close. You walk with Jesus day by day. You follow Jesus day by day. You know his presence day by day. You abide in Christ, being filled with the Spirit. Same idea. Or where uh, Jesus gives the repeated invitation to discipleship. How many times does Jesus say, follow me? <laughs> follow me. That invitation to be his disciple, follow me. What does he mean? What does it mean to follow him? Well, it means, well, literally to walk behind him, but it means to imitate his character to obey his commands, to follow his teachings, to, to uh, adopt his cause, champion his cause, to be his disciple, to follow Jesus. The thing about Christ's followers is that Christ's followers actually follow Christ. Follow me. Same way of saying, a different way of saying the same thing. Or in Galatians, Paul uses the phrase walking in the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit 
and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. All these are they're just different facets of the same diamond or different ways of saying the same thing. We live mindful of the presence of God. All things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee, never forsake thee. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is always there. We want to be mindful of that. But every day I'm mindful, I am aware, I'm very conscious that the Lord is with me and I live before the Lord. And I want, to live in, I want to do those things that are pleasing in His sight. I live for the Lord's purpose, understanding what the will of the Lord is, His kingdom, His purpose, His agenda. I'm here to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to live for His pleasure. I want to live for His glory. That's being filled with the Spirit, practicing His presence, tuning into His presence, always aware of His presence. Now, watch what happens when we are filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit is submitting to His Word, yielding to his direction, and practicing his presence or living in his presence. Now, what happens when we do this? He says, be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject or submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So in our text this morning, we have two verbs, two imperative verbs. Don't be drunk, do be filled. And then we get five participles. So we got two commands, and now we have five participles. Speaking, singing, making music, giving thanks, and submitting. The first three of these have to do with music. So we're going to combine those, and we end up with three results. When you are filled with the Spirit, what does that look like? What's going to happen? Well, number one, one result is joyful worship. Joyful worship. When you're filled with the Spirit, what happens? Well, you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's joyful worship. Now, notice we speaking to one another. We come together on Sundays for corporate worship. That's why we're here today. We got together. I hope you've been worshiping the Lord all week long. But now we come together at a designated time and place to worship God together corporately. Now, some of the songs that we sing, we sing to the Lord. We are addressing Him. Lord, I love you. You know, we're singing to the Lord. Some of the songs we sing are really to each other. We call those confessional. Those are confessional hymns or confessional songs. So we're not technically singing to the Lord. We're singing to each other about the Lord. (laughs) We're testifying. We're encouraging each other, admonishing one another, teaching one another about the attributes of God. God is faithful. God is so faithful. God is loving. God is merciful. God has saved us. God is with us. and all. So we're singing to each other about the Lord, but it's all in the presence of the Lord, and it's for the glory of the Lord. Worship. When I preach, I don't preach to the Lord. I don't need to tell him what the Bible says. He knows what the Bible says. I don't have to tell him how to live his word. He already knows. But I'm preaching to you before him about his word. Get the idea? So over in Colossians, what did we, what did we read? In Colossians, he said we're to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's corporate worship, speaking to one another, singing to one another, singing to God, but also singing to one another about the Lord. And then we do this with, notice, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Uh, scholars would say that these reflect different cultural influences. Psalms, well, you've got a whole book of Psalms in the Old Testament. So Old Testament Psalms set to music, vocal music. And then hymns. Hymns probably speaks of a Greek influence, poetic praise. Some hymns were, were chanted or sung to Greek and Roman deities and pagan worship. Of course, what's in view here is poetic praise to, about the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms, hymns, and then making melody in your hearts, or spiritual songs, rather, spiritual songs, songs of testimony. It could be a broad category, talking about songs that contain spiritual truth. Or it could be songs that are spiritually inspired and spiritually motivated in a spirit of worship. So we sing to one another psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody, making melody, literally psalming. It's the verb form of psalm. We're literally psalming, singing psalms or plucking strings, making melody in your heart. In your heart, it means it's genuine, it's heartfelt, it comes from the heart. It's not hypocritical, it's not empty ritual, it's not for personal fame or attention, but it's making melody in your heart to the Lord, to the Lord. And in Ephesians, the Lord is always the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christocentric worship. We worship God through his son, Jesus Christ. We worship our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So one of the results, when you're filled with the Spirit, it leads to joyous worship, joyful corporate worship. Clinton Arnold explains this. He said the text is simply asserting a connection between being filled with the Spirit and the church gathering together for corporate worship. God meets his people and strengthens them by his spirit as they corporately worship him and praise his name. So there's one result of being filled with the Spirit, joyful worship. Number two, consistent thankfulness. Consistent thankfulness. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So this is another result of being filled with the Spirit. Consistent thankfulness. Always giving thanks to God for all things, always giving thanks. Now, can we talk? <laughs> Let's be honest. When things are good, it's easy to be thankful. When your health is good, marriage is good, the kids are good, the job is good, the money is good. When life is good, it's easy to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You've been so good to me. Thank you for the blessings. That's easy. Anybody can do that. It's harder when things aren't good, though, isn't it? When you're facing a health scare, when your health is in jeopardy, when you're fighting for your life, or your spouse is in trouble, or your marriage is in trouble, or the kids are in trouble, or the job is in jeopardy, or the money is tight, and you don't know what's going to happen next, it's a little harder to be thankful. But when you are filled with the Spirit... You can still be thankful. Not thankful because these things are happening, but we can always be thankful, one, because God is with me. Remember his presence? I'm going to practice his presence. I'm mindful of his presence. So no matter what's happening, I can be thankful, Lord, I know you're with me. You have said, he himself hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and a brother's born for adversity. The Lord is with me. So whatever you face, you don't face it alone. The Lord is with you. Not only that, but we can be thankful for his sustaining grace. Whatever you're facing in life as a child of God, God says, my grace is sufficient. So whatever you're facing, you don't face it alone, and you don't have to face it in your own strength and your own power and your own wisdom. His grace is sufficient. He's there to help you and strengthen you and guide you through it. We can also be thankful for his divine providence. 
Whatever is going on in your life, either he caused it or he providentially allowed it. Nothing catches God by surprise. And whatever you're going through, you can be thankful even then to say, Lord, thank you. You're going to use this somehow. <laughs> somehow there's a big picture. And you're going to use this. You know, you, you cause all things to work together for good to them that love him and who are called according to your purpose. And somehow you're going to use this thing in my life to strengthen me, to grow me, to mature me, to change me, or to help me, or equip me. But, Lord, you're going to use this in some way. That this is not an accident. You're in this, and you're going to use it well for my benefit and for your glory. So even then, even when things are hard and bad and scary and painful, we can still be thankful. A mark, a characteristic of a spirit-filled believer is consistent thankfulness. I can thank him in the good times. I can thank him in the bad times. I don't necessarily thank him for the bad times, but I can thank him in the bad times and how he's going to use those bad times for good. Well, and then there's mutual submission. Here's the third result. Five participles, but three results. So we have joyful worship, consistent thanksgiving, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21 and be subject or submitting to one another. Submitting, it's a participle. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. There's a mutual submission. Again, a result of being filled with the Spirit. Mutual submission. Now, the word be subject or submit in the Greek is hupotasso. It literally means to arrange under. Arrange under. Line up under. It means to voluntarily follow someone else's directions, to voluntarily submit to someone else's imperatives, their orders. Now, in military life, you, I mean, this is a no-brainer. This is military life, isn't it? I mean, you learn this first day of boot camp. <laughs> Somebody's got a higher rank than you, you do what you're told. You follow orders. There's a chain of command, chain of authority. So in military life, it's true in, in political life as well. Out in general society, there are government authorities, government officials, law enforcement authorities and so forth and you, you best do what you're told <laughs> because they they have authority you you submit to that authority that chain of command whatever form or shape it takes in life so it's true in in societal life it's true in political life but here's a plot twist paul is talking to the church remember we're one raceless race we are one body in christ god has miraculously mysteriously brought us all together jew and gentile together and now as spirit-filled believers we're to voluntarily line up under each other even people who don't hold an office who have no vestige of authority but we're to voluntarily submit to one another in the fear of christ in the body of christ wow i didn't see that coming that's different that's that's countercultural is what that is. That's radical. That's impolitic. If meekness is weakness, what in the world do you call submission? I tell you what, I don't submit to anybody. I'm an alpha male. I'm a natural born leader. And honey, you don't have to submit to nobody. You go in there and you tell them what's what. And you tell them, you show them how it ought to be done. You just, you just need to assert yourself. And but see, this is countercultural, isn't it? Voluntary, it speaks of deference, to defer to one another in the body of Christ, in the fear of Christ, of voluntarily ranking under one another. In chapter 4, we, we talked about fighting for unity in the church. And in the body, we're to, we want humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. That's, that's what submission looks like. In Philippians 2, Paul puts it this way, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, 
But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And then he goes on to give Jesus as an example of that. Don't look out for your own interest. Don't consider yourself more important, but everyone else is more important than you, and you put them first. That's submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And we're going to get more of this as we go into marriage next week. But Paul is saying all believers are to submit, to voluntarily defer to one another in the body of Christ. And the motivating factor for that is the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, we've talked about the fear of the Lord before. In Proverbs, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so many times that's watered down with awe, respect, reverential awe, that's lame. That's, no, there's an element of fear. He is God Almighty. What's the fear of Christ? Well, Jesus Christ is the righteous judge who will judge the living and the dead. And there is a healthy fear. Now, he is our Lord. He gave himself for us. We don't have to be afraid of him, but there is a healthy fear of the righteous judge who judges the living and the dead. Klein Snodgrass put all this together. He said this, in the end, submission is nothing more than a decision about the relative worth of another person, a manner of dying and rising with Christ, and a way to respect and love other people. In fact, for Christians, authority and submission are the same thing. And as far as the fear of Christ goes, he said, words like reverence or respect are too weak to capture the nuance intended. The positive sense of the fear of Christ points to his power and holiness and the recognition that he is Lord and coming judge. Such fear is the ground of both praise and obedience. We ought not forget that the one who is feared is the same one who loved us and gave himself for us in chapter 5 and verse 2. So what does it look like when you are filled with the Spirit? Joyful worship, consistent thankfulness, mutual submission. Now, here's something interesting. Most scholars will take these five participles and do what I did with them. Okay? So I'm part of the crowd. <laughs> and taking these participles as participles of result. You get filled with the Spirit, here are the results, these five participles. There are some scholars who take these participles and would say they are participles of means. That is to say, this is how you're filled with the Spirit. Well, that's interesting. Now, I'm not sure I buy into that completely. I'm going to go with the numbers on this one. But there may be a cyclical component to this. When you are filled with the Spirit, you get these results, worship, thankfulness, submission. And as you worship and as you are thankful and as you submit to one another, fighting for unity in the body, deferring to one another in love, guess what? You're filled with the Spirit. You're more and more attuned to the Spirit's leading and guiding in your life, His empowerment, and then you get the results. And so you end up in this virtuous cycle. I could go with that. Well, let's wrap it up. How to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe I've convinced you. I think I want some of that. <laughs> Give me some, I don't want to be drunk with wine. That's destruction. I do want to be filled with the Spirit. So how do we get there from here? Let me give you, at the risk of being mechanical, let me give you how to be filled with the Spirit. One, you need to confess sin. Confess your sin. We saw in chapter 4 and verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Sinful conduct in the life of the believer grieves the Holy Spirit sorrows. It brings sorrow to the heart of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. We want to be filled with the Spirit. In 1 John 1, 9, 
If we confess our sins, the word confess means to say the same thing as. We call our sin what God calls it. Not going to mitigate it, not going to rationalize it, not going to excuse it, water it down, explain it away. We call it what God calls it. God, this was conduct unbecoming. What I did, what I said, what I thought, my attitude, the way I treated that person, it was sinful, it was shameful, it was conduct unbecoming. Lord, I'm sorry. I confess, cleanse me and forgive me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That needs to be a daily thing. Every day, come to him. Confess that sin. Number two, die to sin and selfishness. I, I, I don't want to repeat that sin. I want to die to sin. I, don't, I die to the world, as we saw before. Paul said, I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. I die to sin and selfishness. Or as he would say in Romans 12, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. You present your body a living sacrifice. God, here I am. My life, my money, my job, my career, my family, everything I am, everything I have, Lord, here I am. I am a living sacrifice. I am yours. Now, the problem with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> and so it's a daily thing. Every day I've got to get up there and die all over again. Lord, I die to self. As Paul would say in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I'm a walking dead man. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I die to sin, die to self, present my body, my life, a living sacrifice to him. And then thirdly, be filled with Scripture. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Be filled with his Word. Remember, parallel passages. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Looks a whole lot, sounds a whole lot like being filled with the Spirit. We heard Jesus say in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Allow the Word of Christ to infuse and inform every part of your life. What does the Bible say about my work life? What does the Bible say about my money? What does the Bible say about my marriage? What it means to be a husband or a wife or a father or a mother? What does the Bible say about being a child? What does the Bible say about relationships or about the church or about allow God's Word to inform and infuse every part of your life. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And you remember 12.2, Romans 12.2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. You'll be transformed. As you let God's word richly dwell within you, God will use his word to shape the way you think, and that changes the way you live, and you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll be, you'll be uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction in your life. And then fourthly, practice the presence of Christ. Practice the presence of Christ. Again, being filled with the Spirit. You go through the day mindful of the presence of the Lord. Again, sometimes you've got to focus your attention on the task at hand. You've got to do the work you're, you're working on, whatever it is. But you start the day, you end the day, and throughout the day, you remember you're never very far from God. God is never far from your mind. Jesus is always there. So throughout the day, there's just a mindfulness. I live in the presence of the Lord. I live before his eyes. All things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I live before his eyes. I live in his presence. He is in me. I'm never without him. I live for his pleasure. We, we heard before, we want to learn what is pleasing in his sight. We have as our ambition, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to him. I want to learn those things that are pleasing to him. I want to do those things. 
I, I live for His purpose. I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation, as we talked about last Sunday. And ultimately, I live for His glory. I want Christ glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. Practice the presence of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Don't be drunk. But be wise. Be understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for every spiritual blessing that you have given us in the heavenly places. God, I pray for the one who's here today who's never been saved and help them to to see and know that they need Jesus Christ. Lord, convict them of their sin, convince them of righteousness and truth and judgment to come, and Lord, bring them to the cross even now. Lord, for the one who who thinks that that Christianity is just going to church, Lord, help them to, to hear, oh, there's so much more than that. It is life in the Spirit, a life with Christ and in Christ. It's a whole new world. God, I pray that you'd seal this message to our hearts, help us to live in light of it, and may we truly be spirit-filled believers and everything that goes with that. Take charge of this time of decision. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.